listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This episode covers the life of Christ and the Gospel of Luke. You can enjoy more messages like this with the free Courage Matters app, available in your app store. If you'd like to request Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event, click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. People have tried to predict the rapture, tried to predict the end of days, the end of all things. And this is true throughout history. More recently, 2001, a man named Harold Camping made the prediction that on May 21st, 2011, the rapture would occur. He followed that up to say that five months later, the end of the world, the end of the universe would happen on October 21st, 2011. Now, unless we're in a matrix somewhere and reality as we know it is not really reality, those things did not happen. But throughout history, mere mortals have tried to predict the rapture, the removal of the body of Christ and the second coming of Jesus Christ. That is somehow related to the rapture, depending on what you believe about the rapture, you might believe something different about the timing and the circumstances of the rapture. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you believe in the return of Jesus. And you also believe in something that the Bible teaches, something that Jesus preached and taught, the end times, the last days. More recently, books have been written about the color of the moon you know what I'm saying, that there would be four particular moons and they would have the color of blood and that is indicative of signs in the heavens and therefore something significant happened or was about to happen or is going to happen and as the dates that that last moon occurred in September, as that date has passed, we now find ourselves scratching our heads and say, well, what exactly were you trying to say? Others have written books about Jewish holidays and feasts, the Shemitah, and how what's happening in world events is significant in light of Jewish festivals and feasts. And here we are with all of those events in recent history again passing us by, and yet it doesn't seem like the rapture has occurred. Doesn't seem like Jesus has returned. Doesn't seem like the end of all things, the universe and the world as we know it, has occurred. And so today we want to look at a passage of Scripture where Jesus himself addresses the issue. And this is the beauty of preaching through a book of the Bible from the first verse to the last chapter and last verse. And this is the beauty of preaching God's Word from Genesis to Revelation, which is what we do here. If we preach the Word of God, if we teach and preach the full counsel of God's Word, eventually we get to every issue known to man. And one of the issues that is known to man, known to humanity, is this discussion about when will Jesus return and what will it be like before his return? Where do we go? But the matchless, timeless word of God, Luke chapter 21, beginning in verse 5. This is where we fall in our reading of the scripture and our preaching and teaching of God's word as we go through the entire gospel of Luke. Luke 21, beginning in verse 5, and while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he, Jesus, said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, teacher, 
when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? Notice, when will these things be? What will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, see that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am he. And the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place. But the end will not be at once. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places, famines and pestilences, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are, who are in Judea, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and let those who are inside the city depart. And let not those who are out in the country enter it, for these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and on the earth, distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And just as an aside here, again, Jesus using his favorite title, in reference to himself, which makes it absolutely clear that the Son of Man is Jesus, speaking about his own return. The Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out and leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth 
will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth, but stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. And every day he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and lodged at the mount called Olivet, or the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning, all the people came in the temple to hear him. So Luke is presenting to us this understanding of how Jesus taught, how he preached, how he operated toward the end of his life here at his final days in Jerusalem before he went to the cross. Jesus would teach in the temple and then he would spend his nights on Mount of Olives, probably in prayer and as well where he would have had his camp set up where he would have slept. And here Jesus is talking to us about what's going to happen, what we can expect, what the disciples could expect, what we could expect, the way things will go down before he returns. Now, why is it that Luke presents this particular passage of Scripture here? Well, it's no coincidence that it falls here because the context, as we've seen in our last few times together, is the authority and the identity of Jesus Christ the authority and the identity of Jesus Christ. The authority of Jesus goes hand in glove with the identity of Jesus. And what we've seen in our past several times together as we've gone through the word of God is that Jesus taught with authority. The miraculous signs and wonders that Jesus performed gave credence and drew attention to his identity. And that Jesus could say the things that he said and do the things that he did because of who Jesus was and who Jesus is. The resurrection settles the issue that Jesus didn't just live, but Jesus actually lives. And while mere mortals have made predictions about the timing, the circumstances of when the rapture is going to be, when the return of Jesus is going to be, when the end of days will actually be, the last of the last days, Every single one of them, if you haven't noticed, has been wrong because we're still here. The only person who's right about this issue is Jesus Christ. The only one who can speak authoritatively, who means what he says and says what he means, who can back up what he says because of his identity is Jesus. And here we have Jesus speaking with authority on the issue of his return, on the issue of the last days. And it's no coincidence that Luke has it here because Luke wants us again to understand that Jesus has authority to speak authoritatively about all things pertaining to the nature of God's kingdom, the kingdom of God, and your life and mine in response. Notice what Jesus says in verse 33. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And so here when we look at this passage of scripture, you know, people have predicted when Jesus is going to return, when the rapture is going to happen. Some people pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, 
pre-wrath rapture. There's a whole host of predictions out there about when the rapture may happen, when the return of Jesus might happen. But here's something that you can bank on. Here's something that you can build your life upon. It's based on the identity of Jesus that heaven and earth will pass away. But when Jesus says something's going to happen, it will happen the way Jesus says it will happen. And the thing that you need to understand, that I need to understand, that we need to understand is that Jesus promised that he's coming back. Jesus promised that the heavens and the earth will pass away. And yet Jesus wants you to build your life and me to build my life, a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ to build our lives. He wants you to build your life upon his teachings because his identity is settled. Look here at these first two verses in this section, verses five and six. While some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he, Jesus, said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Now, the parallel accounts occur in Matthew 24 and in Mark 13. So let's look at Matthew 24 first, beginning in verse 1. Jesus left the temple and was going away. So we understand that, again, Jesus' back and forth motion of teaching in the temple. He was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. Now, we'll get even more insight into this when we look at Mark chapter 13. But he answered them, you see all these. Do you not? Truly, I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age? Notice what they ask. When will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and at the end of the age? Well, let's look at Mark chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. And as he came out of the temple, one of the disciples said to him, look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, whereas Matthew said it was disciples, whereas Luke said it was disciples, we get the names of these disciples right here. Peter, And James and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And the more things change, the more they stay the same. For a fleeting moment, the disciples have a time of temporary insanity. They begin to fixate and focus on the when and the what. When is this going to happen? What's going to be the sign of your return and the end of the age? The when and the what. And the thing I love about the Bible, one of the things that you should love about the Bible is that it presents real people, real situations. People are in process. People are on a journey with God. And that's what's true in your life. It's what's true in my life. 
Peter and James and John and Andrew, they're not perfect, they're imperfect. And yet God has called them. And for a fleeting moment, they begin to get fixated on the when and the what. They're focused on the end times. And so much so that they're distracted. Like so many of us, so many times in our lives, we begin to get distracted with the byproduct of what God is doing. And they're walking out of the temple with Jesus at one particular time, and they're marveling at something. Here they are. Imagine the irony of it. They're walking with the almighty Son of God. God became flesh, walking among them. And where are their eyes drawn? What are their affections being drawn to? Oh, the beauty of the building. The whiteness of the limestone. The shimmering of the gold leaf on the outside of the temple. This is Herod's temple. That's what it's known as. It's known as Herod's temple even to this day. See, there were three temples so far in Israel's history. The first one was Solomon's temple after the tabernacle. Remember that? Solomon's temple. And when Solomon dedicated that temple in 2 Chronicles, you can read the account for yourself, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, thousands upon thousands of animals sacrificed and the glory of God came down so much so that the priests had to step back, they had to stop ministering. How about that for a ministry, having a ministry so powerful that you had to stop ministering for a moment because God shows up. When Solomon had dedicated the temple and then a prophet named Jeremiah came by, preached for 70 some years, repent or perish. Repent or perish, well the people didn't repent and so they perished. The Babylonians came in, God used another nation to judge his nation. The Babylonians came in and took the Israelites, men and women and children, and killed many of them, took the rest into captivity. And the temple, Solomon's temple, was destroyed. And then we read in the book of Ezra, the reconstruction of the temple under Zerubbabel. You can read that yourself. Try to say that name, Zerubbabel, 10 times fast and see where you come out at the end of the day on that one. But in the book of Ezra, Solomon's temple is rebuilt and rededicated and the people that were there and saw the splendor of the first temple, when they saw the reconstruction that's recorded in the book of Ezra, they were weeping while the new generation was celebrating and rejoicing that finally the temple has been reconstructed and the people who were there earlier and saw the splendor of Solomon's temple were shaking their heads and wailing and crying. And the Bible says in the book of Ezra, you couldn't tell the difference between those who were wailing and crying because they were sad over the diminished splendor of the rebuild and those who were celebrating and rejoicing because they never saw Solomon's temple in all of its splendor. Well, that's the reconstruction of the temple the second time around. But then a man named Herod, who was full of himself, came along. And Herod was known for his Greek and his Roman and his Egyptian architects and what they were able to fashion with their hands. And he wanted to rebuild the temple and make it surpass the glory of both of the other temples combined. And interestingly enough, and appropriately so, it was called Herod's temple, the Shekinah glory of God was not in that temple. In fact, the Ark of the Covenant wasn't in that temple. How unfitting it would have been, the Ark of the Covenant and the 
most holy place in the holy of holies, the Ark of the Covenant being in that holy place in the temple, representing the presence and the, the power of God. It was unnecessary because the power and the presence of God was now God in the flesh in the person of Jesus Christ, wrapped up right from the beginning in that manger. So the disciples are with Jesus walking around that temple area. And of course, they would have had every right to be impressed with the building. I mean, after all, it's 75 to 100 feet long. Higher. About 125 feet tall. That's 15 stories. Far taller than Solomon's temple, far taller than the temple we read about in the book of Ezra. And the stones, Josephus says, 35, 36, 37. Josephus, the Jewish historian, said 37 feet long, 18 feet wide, 12 feet high. And when you looked at that temple, if it wasn't the purest of white limestone, it was shimmering gold because they had melted down gold and made it into gold leaf. So when you looked at that temple from the Mount of Olives where Jesus would have been speaking with the disciples, facing the temple, the shimmering of that gold would have glistened in the sun. The reflection of the, the almost bleached appearance of the limestone would have been there and this massive structure would have been there. That's the temple that the disciples were looking at when they said, what massive stones, what beautiful architecture. Jesus, hey, get a load of this. And Jesus says, oh, really? Are you impressed with these stones? Are you impressed with what mere mortals can fashion with their hands? Because you see, God wasn't in that temple as much as Herod being in that temple. Herod wasn't consumed and concerned with the glory of God. He was consumed and concerned with another architectural feather in his cap where people could ascribe greatness to him, not the God of the Jews. If you read the gospel accounts, we'll be looking into that in our time as we continue Luke's gospel. It's Herod who was one of the biggest adversaries of Jesus. Not advocate, he's an adversary. And so the disciples have this momentary lapse of judgment where they begin to lose sight of who they're walking with, begin to lose sight of what it's really all about, and they begin to get impressed with what mere mortals can do. You know, man can do a lot. But every single time, God outdoes man. Every single time. Time. And so Jesus says, oh, the master communicator, again, communicating masterfully as he's looking from the Mount of Olives out to that temple area. As he's walking with the disciples, as they're being impressed with the structure and they're saying, hey, how about this architecture? How about this gold? How about these gifts given to quote unquote God? How about this building? And Jesus says, let me tell you something. It's all coming down. It's all going to burn. In 70 AD, the Gentiles, the Romans, destroyed that temple. If you know anything about biblical history, you know that in 70 AD, 
that temple was destroyed exactly the way Jesus said it would be destroyed. So much so that not even one stone would be left on another. They got that temple cooking so hot, the Romans. They got that fire raging so hot that the gold itself in that temple melted. The gold leaf melted and then fell in between the crevices, between those large limestone rocks, those blocks that they, the Jewish people had placed that was under the direction of Herod. The gold melted and fell down between into those crevices and the Romans, eager for material wealth, split those blocks apart so that they could grovel and get down into the dirt and get the gold that belonged to the Jews. Rightly so. It belonged to God. And what we see Jesus doing is making a prediction about the destruction of the temple because of the identity of Jesus and the authority of Jesus. Every single part of it came true. Every single part of it came true. And you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Aren't we just like the disciples to have a momentary lapse in judgment and to begin to get ooed and wowed, begin to get impressed with the buildings that we create in the name of ministry. That the structures that we build that are supposed to be used for the unhindered, unbridled movement of God's spirit. Look at Luke 21, verse 7. They asked him, teacher, when will these things be and what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? It's just like the disciples, just like us, to begin to fixate on the when and the what and to lose sight of the who and the how. What do I mean by the who and the how? See, the disciples, we saw it in Matthew, we saw it in Mark, we're seeing it here in Luke. They were concerned about when is this going to happen? What will be the sign of your kingdom? What will be the sign of your coming? You know, when I was in high school, senior in high school, one of my classmates accepted Christ as his savior. At least I think he did. The Lord knows those who are his. The Lord knows those who are really saved from those who might make a profession, but they might not necessarily be genuine in that profession and their faith. And he made a profession of accepting Christ. And then he got into studying the end times, the what and the when. And before you knew it, he had it all figured out. And it was going to be at any moment. And he began living according to the what and the when. And he lost sight of the who and the how. Some people are so end times minded that they're no here and now good. Some of us are so fixated on, it's got to be now, it's got to be soon. The when and the what, just like the disciples, that we lose sight of the who in the meantime. And the how in the meantime. We'll get there in just a moment. The who and the how. But what I mean is this. We're seeing our nation transform right before our very eyes. We're seeing things happen ethnically between blacks and whites and people of different color that are a disgrace to this nation. We don't treat all people as if they're equal at all. 
And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it should disturb you, not just because it's in our Constitution, but listen, it's in the Word of God first and foremost. For God so loved the world that he gave his uniquely brought forth one-of-a-kind son. Jesus is for black people. Jesus is for white people. Jesus is for yellow people. Jesus is for red people. Jesus is for Italians, Germans, Jews. Jesus is for everybody. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, his uniquely brought forth one-of-a-kind, never be another Jesus' son, that whoever... Whoever believes in him, whatever their skin color is, whatever their past is, whatever their present situation is, whoever has biblical faith in Jesus and who he is and what he did on the cross would not perish but have eternal life. We're seeing things happen in our nation with gun violence and the big debate is now raging about we should take all the guns away. And other people say, no, we shouldn't take all the guns away. Well, should we conceal and carry or shouldn't we conceal and carry? And this debate rages on and on and on. Listen, we could take all the guns away from everybody. We could take all the butter knives away too. You're not gonna change the condition of somebody's heart. The only one who can change the condition of the heart is the person of Jesus Christ when somebody accepts Jesus Christ as their Savior and God. That's the way it works. But see, something's happened to us in the United States of America. We read the Bible with an American-centric lens. We think that God's plan revolves around the United States of America. We wouldn't want to admit that because the United States isn't specifically mentioned in Scripture. Sure, some people speculate. They speculate about a lot of things. But the United States of America is not mentioned in black and white the way the nation of Israel is mentioned. The whole Bible and God's prophetic plan revolves around the person and work of Jesus Christ and God's plan through the nation of Israel. That's why Jesus says, when you see the United States of America surrounded by her enemies. That's the reverse standard version. Or is that the American standard version? When you see Jerusalem surrounded by her enemies, then the end of all things, the end of the end is near. Look up, your redemption draws near. See, because things are changing in our nation, we think, well, the rapture's going to be soon now. The end of all things is going to be soon. Listen. Would you please pay attention to what the Bible is teaching here, to what Jesus is teaching here? Look with me at this particular verse, in verse number nine in Luke 21. When you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified. Jesus is saying that the new normal after his arrival, after his first coming, would be wars and rumors of wars. When you hear wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place. But the end will not be at once. Black and white, Jesus saying, the end will not be at once. The sad thing is that in America, we know our Bibles just enough to be dangerous with our exegesis of the Bible, with our interpretation of the Bible. That's why when somebody comes out with a book about the color of the moon, or about this Jewish holiday or that Jewish holiday, and somebody makes a prediction about this particular date or that particular date, we get led astray. 
And what does Jesus say here? Doesn't he say it very clearly here in verse 8? See that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am he. And the time is at hand. Do not go after them. Don't follow a false teaching. Don't follow teaching that focuses on the what and the when. Because that's what all this discussion about the timing of the rapture and the end times, trying to figure it out is about. It's about the what and the when. And the disciples were interested in the what and the when. And Jesus says, it's not about the what and the when. It's about who I am. It's about the who and the how. Look at what he says here. Verse 8. See that you are not led astray. See that you are not led astray. See that you're not led astray by people trying to get you excited about the immediacy of Jesus' return. Or now because this event's happening in world events, this particular thing is happening in the world or in our own country, that now the end is upon us. Jesus says, see to it that you are not led astray. Don't go after their teaching. Don't go after these teachers. The problem in your life and mine, it's a human problem. We get enamored with science fiction. We get enamored with the ooh and the ah, the shock value. We like a good crossword puzzle, don't we? We like a good mystery, and so we try to figure everything out to the point of which we begin to trust in our interpretation of the Scriptures. Remember the guys, the scribes, trusted in their interpretation of the Scripture. And there was Jesus right before them, and they missed him. And here are the disciples being distracted, looking at the temple, being enamored with the temple, what mere mortals have built in the name of God, in that case with Herod in his own name. And here was Jesus walking in their own midst, the presence, the power, the person of God, God who became flesh right there with them. And the tendency in your life and mine is the same as that of the disciples. We could begin to focus on the when and the what and lose sight of the who and the how. How are we to live? By not being led astray. By teaching that fixates on the what and the when. See, if you take care of the who and the how of your life, God will take care of the what and the when. Jesus said it's going to happen. Jesus said, I will return. Jesus said that heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Jesus has the end times covered. Jesus knows when he's coming back. So much so that if he wanted you to know the specific time and circumstance, he would have told you the day and the hour. He didn't. And yet, why is it that so many of us seem to be living as if we know the day and the hour and we've lost our salt and our light? Many of us, you see, we're living as if the rapture is going to get us out of here. So we don't need to be salt and light here and now. Many of us are living, hey, Jesus is coming back. 
What do I care about my neighbor? What do I care about all that's happening in the world? I'm just going to hold on to sweet Jesus when it's not the biblical Jesus you're holding on to. You're holding on to an interpretation of the end times that Jesus never intended for you and for me to have. If your interpretation of the end times leads you to inaction, if my interpretation of the end times leads me to inaction, if our interpretation of the end times and the body of Christ leads us to inaction and complacency and becoming a spiritual slacker while all hell is breaking out around us, we've done a very good job of becoming a scribe. Very good job of becoming a Pharisee. Very good job of missing the point. And the point was right in their midst. His name was Jesus. And the point is right here in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. It's all about Jesus. Listen, Jesus knows when he's coming back. Jesus knows exactly what it's going to look like. He knows the time. He knows the circumstances. And if he wanted you and me to know, he would have told us the specific time, the specific day. In the meantime, it's all about the who and the how. It's all about who we live for. Are we living our lives out of fear because maybe Jesus might come back and catch us off guard? The Bible says fear has to do with judgment, but perfect love casts out all fear. Listen to this. If you don't understand anything else that I've said so far, if you don't agree with anything else I've said so far, if you forget anything and everything else I've said so far, don't forget this. The purest motive of a disciple of Jesus Christ is love for Jesus the Christ. Fear has to do with judgment. Perfect love casts out fear. See, it is about the who. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, the Apostle Paul, writing here to a group of people who had been led astray, the Corinthians. They were enamored with the things, the possessions that they had, and enamored with the way people looked and the way people talked and the spiritual gifts that they had and how nobody else had what they had. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, Paul lets his hair down. Paul tells it like it is, and he says, but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Look at what he says. Your thoughts may be led astray from a sincere and a pure devotion to Christ. What a coincidence that Jesus says, see to it that you're not led astray. That's a great danger. He said it to the disciples. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, his word should ring true and pertinent and practical, relevant for your life and for mine. See to it that you're not led astray, no matter what's happening in this nation, no matter what's happening in the world. Listen, you don't know if Jesus is coming back today or if he's coming back this week or next week or a year from now or a number of years from now. And you know what? It doesn't matter. Many of us have begun to use the rapture as the unintended evangelical escape clause for being salt and light in the here and now. Many of us are using the return of Jesus Christ as the unintended. God never meant it 
Jesus was not teaching about his return and the end of days for the disciples just to hold on for the ride. Matthew 28 ends, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations. I'll be with you always. I am who I've said I am. I'm who the Bible says I am. I have the authority because of my identity. Now get busy being soft and light. I don't care how dastardly and dark and devilish people are today, whether they're in Syria or whether they're invading Europe or whether there is a fear, an understandable fear, understandable concern about whether or not people will infiltrate this country. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And he will take care of the what and the when of his return. In the meantime, we are to take care of the who and the how. Building our lives upon the person of Jesus, the who. And how we live should be people who are vigilant and diligent that we are not led astray to get fixated and focused and to become enamored on the things that should never be characteristic in the life of a disciple. The building doesn't matter. A building doesn't matter. A program doesn't matter. The only time they matter is in proportion to their ability to be used by God to point people to the who and the how. The person of Jesus Christ and living for him with sincere and pure devotion. That's what you should be focusing on. That's what I should be focusing on. Last time I checked, I know that we're a lot alike, you and me. I struggle enough each day with sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Haven't you found that to be the case in your own life? That as Paul says in 2 Corinthians eleven three, I fear for you that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, you too might be led astray. Your thoughts might be led astray from sincere and pure devotion to Christ. You know why the thought life is so important? Because as you think, you eventually will do. As you think, you'll eventually do. And if all you do is fixate and focus on the when and the what of Jesus' return, you know what you'll do? You'll keep your nose in the commentaries. You'll keep your nose in the Bible dictionaries. You'll keep your nose even in the Bible itself. You'll lose your passion for the lost. Some of us never had a passion for the lost in the first place. You'll lose the biblical mandate to be salt. You don't like your work environment? That's why God put you there, to change the flavor. Is it dark where God has placed you? Guess why he put you, the light bulb, in the midst of that darkness? We need to stop asking God to get us out of that situation and start asking God. Start asking God, 
thank you for putting me in this position. Thank you that you called me, unworthy as I am, undeserving as I am, to change the flavor of what, of what would otherwise be distasteful. Thank you, Lord, that you sent me to be light in the midst of darkness. See, if we focus on the who, which is Jesus, if we focus on the how, which is pure and sincere, sincere and pure devotion to Jesus, and we stopped being so enamored with what's happening in the world events, it's happening exactly the way Jesus said it was going to happen with greater precision than you and I in our best understanding and our best day. It is happening. The world is moving along exactly the way Jesus said it would happen. But Jesus' words to the disciples are Jesus' words to us as his disciples. See to it that no one leads you astray. There are going to be more books written about the end times. There are going to be more people preaching sermons about it must be time. The time must be near. And a majority of those messages and a majority of those books and a majority of those resources are going to originate out of, guess where? The United States of America because our world is changing. But prophecy doesn't revolve around the United States of America. It revolves around the person and the works of Jesus Christ. And if you and I as followers of Jesus began to be more enamored with the who, Jesus, if you and I as followers of Jesus Christ would be more enamored, more fixated, more focused on the person and the authority of Jesus and submitting all of our life to him, all of our family to him, all of the business to him, all of the church to him, you know what? When Jesus comes back, whenever that is, and it is going to happen, we'll be ready. When the end times reach the end of the end times, it won't matter to us because we will have been so busy with Jesus Christ, so busy focusing and fixating on sincere and pure devotion to Jesus that we won't get into frivolous arguments and frivolous discussions and side discussions and rabbit trails and things that don't really matter because last time I checked and we just checked right now, the only thing that matters is not a thing. He's a person and his name is Jesus. God will take care of the what and the when. You and I need to take care of the who and the how. See to it that nobody leads you astray from sincere and pure devotion to Jesus. You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters podcast, where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com or download the free Courage Matters app. Interested in requesting Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event? Click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking. Mm-hmm.